actually will be interviewing as a team. You are the best movers on the planet. So, bro, what kind of muscles you have? No. Bro, what kind of patterns you have? We're here to fuck shit up. He's a pretty low key anyway. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, we jam for like 20 to 30 minutes, nothing intense. Um, so this week on the podcast, I have Alexis Levy. Did I, did I say that right? Levy, yeah. Okay. Uh, he's a physical therapist out of Canada. If this was the United States, he'd be a, a doctor. What is it in Canada? Is it just a master's? No, yeah, it's just a master's, you know, because. I mean, it is just a master's. It is pretty easy in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's probably any harder in the U.S. It's just longer and probably costs more money. Yeah, it's literally equivalent. Like I checked, I can literally work in the U.S. if I want to because um, mm-hmm. McGill is recognized. So I think it's like a two-month difference. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, and I, I hope it was a lot cheaper for you then too. So it's a real yeah. Uh, yeah, literally, I think it was 16 times cheaper. 16 times. Jesus Christ. Okay, that's a, that's a significant difference. Yeah. <laughs> so... Alexis has actually one of my favorite Instagram pages right now at no bullshit physio. Um, and what I enjoy about it is when I, when I watch a lot or watch, you know, when I read a lot of people arguing back and forth on social media, um, a lot of it just turns into their opinion or kind of their experience based upon, you know, working with, you know, patients or clients or their population and they, you know, expand it to everyone, um, which is, you know, there's a bias involved there. So I like when he comes into the argument because it's, it's more, I guess I could say factual based, you know, he's, he's presenting the literature. So it's less of his opinion or some bias and more of this is, this is the literature. This is what we're looking at. Um, and kind of taking emotions more or less out of it. Maybe not out of it completely there, but you get what I'm saying. Um, and have have you ever seen Billy Madison? Yeah. Okay. It's a funny movie. Yeah, you know the scene where, where he's uh, the list of people to kill? Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like um, for you, you're doing such a good job lately, you know. You're at the top of like Joel Seedman, Ben Patrick's, Squat U's, you know, Liver King's list of people to kill. Um, and, and more recently, the, uh, the Functional Patterns guy. Um, <laughs> but before we get into the, uh, the knowledge bombs I wanted you to drop, can you, can you – Keep get me up to speed on, on what's going on with you and that guy because I'm ready to start you a, a GoFundMe and fly you out to Hawaii. Um, he did a I did a review on his approach because okay. people kept asking me about it, so I just did like I think most movement cults that's what I call it. I have the same issue with like Goda and then functional patterns, and I think the other one was like Move You. I think they have the same approach where they vilify certain patterns of movement, and I. I think if you look at overall, every meta-analysis that's ever been done on it shows that it can't predict injuries the way you're moving. So I just did a video, I bunched them all together and I get hate like every day for doing that. But they're always like, show your results or whatever. And it's like, yeah, these scientists, like they use a control group. You guys have never done that. Yeah. They're doing exactly what you do with better technology and they don't cherry pick their data and whatever. And it's all like people, in my opinion, don't really understand how science works who keep bugging me and people keep, I think tagging Naudi or something when I post about stuff like that. And he got really pissed off. Um, so he keeps like talking about me, but what's funny is he blocked me. So I literally cannot answer. And he's acting like he's in this little echo chamber with his minions going like, Oh yeah. yeah. That's like all his, all he's saying is like lies and stuff. Like he said that I was, my job was like subsidized, okay. which is really funny. Cause in Canada it's not like I, I, I'm a cash base. Like people pay me out of pocket. 
like some people have insurance, but that's not what subsidized means. It's yeah. just like, hey, insurance, private companies, free market, by the way, which is what he doesn't like. Um, he says like I, they submit it to the free market. It's like, hey, the he values what I do. They don't value what you do. Um, and he's really pissed off about it. Like I can hospital, be a doctor. People take me seriously because I don't know. It really pisses him off. And like I ne- literally never mentioned that. Like I don't think titles are important. And I think I would rather recommend a lot of my clients to trainers than a lot of physical therapists. Like a lot of physical therapists are terrible, but just, it's, it's pretty funny. Like some guy said it was cause he was Mexican recently. It's like, I didn't even know he was Mexican. It's just, he's just an asshole. And I hate him cause he, he hates women. Like he spreads misinformation, but he's extremely hateful. He's he, like, he said that he might become an incel because he found women repulsive and degenerated. And he like doubled down on it. He's like a piece of shit. Uh, yeah. So He's really going at, at it with me and I'm just going to show how ridiculous he is. I have like five posts coming on this. Um, Cause yeah, he's, he's a terrible human being and his approach is stupid. There we go. He's taking it to the next level. Cause like he's, you know, some of these people I feel like are just, I don't want to say spreading misinformation, but they're spreading misinformation, misinformation, you know, and kind of running their cult, but like he, he's taken to the next level where he's just a, a shitty person too. Yeah. He's like really a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a comment thread of him. I think he said like the R word, like, like retard, like a hundred times on okay. forum boards. You, yeah. yeah. It's just like with the Mike is right. He's just, he's like a whole person. That's pretty terrible. He's just, he's angry. How tall is he? I don't know. I don't like to make fun of height. He's just, he's a small person in human stature. We'll put small it that person. way. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. Metaphorically and figuratively, you know, yeah. I've, I was lending to that's why he's angry. Um, but now at least, I, at least I'm up to date on, on what's going on here because I, I can barely keep up with, with uh, you're just putting out information in those memes so fast that it's, uh, it's hard to keep up with it. Yeah, it is a lot. It is feeling a lot, honestly. I'm just getting on my nerves. <laughs> you're going to need a vacation after this is all said and done. Yeah. All right, so let, let's, let's talk about knees because, you know, currently I have a knee boo-boo like um, – like everyone knows, you know, and I'm hypothesizing it's meniscus, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, but I want to talk about surgical versus non-surgical intervention. Um, you know, and I'm obviously very biased, you know, I'm not gonna get imaging. Uh, I'm fairly confident, you know, I can calm it down and then build it back up. Maybe it's the best approach, maybe it's not, but like I said, I'm biased. So I wanted to present to the listeners, you know, maybe more factual, um, less biased, uh, information to it. So that's kind of where you come in right here. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it might be different in Canada than the U S. Um, also I haven't seen patients in about a year and a half, so maybe it's changed. Um, but typically, you know, somebody hurts their knee, they'll go to their PCP or urgent care. Most people in the States don't even have a PCP anymore. Um, you know, they'll get the imaging, they have to get x-ray prior to MRI, you know, they get the MRI. We've got a torn meniscus, let's say. Yeah. Um, then, then they'll get the surgery where they have to have a, an extended period of layoff from that surgery. So, you know, for two to eight weeks, something like that. And then if they go to a half decent physical therapist, um, the physical therapist will progressively overload that tissue over time until we're back to quote unquote normal function. Um, you know, the two areas I wanted to touch on was first and foremost, the imaging. Let's start there. Like how, how significant are those findings of the imaging because I feel like a lot of times we just look at the imaging without any, um, you know, extra orthopedic tests. Like rarely, you know, does, does anyone, is anyone doing like a, 
a McMurray's or a Thessaly's or something like that. It's just like, oh, your knee hurts? Let's do imaging. And we hang our yeah. hat too much on that imaging, I feel like, without you know, combining that with the history or any of the other pieces. And I hate to, to say everyone's just doing a bad job doing that. Um, but what, what's the literature look like on imaging for like, you know, meniscus injuries? Cause that's what I got probably. Um, yeah. First of all, if we talk about the, the special testing, even that is not super reliable. I think okay. if you have a cluster of like three tests that are positive, mm-hmm. couldn't cite the study off the top of my head, but I know the most, um, reliable one is the palpation actually. Okay. So if you, you can do like the joint line assessment, that's the most reliable. Um, then I think after that, it's the Tisali or the egg test. The egg test you don't learn in school, but it's the one where you kind of, you go at your back against the wall and you do a knees in or a knees out um, squat. And if one hurts significantly more than the other, you can indicate which side the tear is, if there is one. If it's just the same pain as, um, what do you call it? Just doing a regular squat. It's probably negative. Um, so yeah, I think the test, if you, you need to, it needs to match with the imaging. It needs to match with the symptoms. Then you can probably a certain, Oh, it's probably the meniscus, but if it's just a test that's positive, I don't, I don't think we, we can be very sure, especially if it's only one. So usually what I do is all the tests that is, um, you know, it's probably meniscal tear. Um, yeah. So if we go to the imaging, uh, Horga in 2020, did a, a study, they took like 230 patients and they saw like 30% of patients add meniscal tears. Uh, that's like middle-aged patients. And 97% of people add something on it. So like either fi- fiber cartilage damage, uh, you know, like a mild, uh, what we call like an incidental fracture, I think it's called. Um, like a very small fracture that was probably there before. Or, you know, some form of OA, osteoarthritis. So it's extremely common. And it's, that's the population that doesn't have pain, right? Um, but it also depends highly on the population. So if you're very active, it's much more likely that you're going to have a tear and it's usually not problematic. So Nikolaevich in 2019 looked at professional soccer players and uh, 97.9 of them had uh, meniscal tears. <laughs> okay. So it's more than three times more prevalent than the regular population. And then people would be like, oh, it's bad. But it's like, no, <laughs> they're literally performing at the highest, like, Arguably, soccer is one of the hardest things for knees in the world, right? I mean, there's a lot of changes in the direction. That's the one thing where there's probably the most ACL tears um, along with basketball. And they're doing it at the highest level possible, and they're fine. So, like, probably Messi is a tear. Probably Cristiano Ronaldo is a tear. Probably, like, any soccer player, good soccer player you know has a tear. So, um, it highly depends. Again, I, you might even make a case that it's adaptative in that. Yeah. population but we the truth is we don't know i try to look at whether it impacted performance it didn't yeah. we do see uh, other, like that if you get a surgery it reduces significantly the amount of years i don't remember which study that was from but it's like a 8.4 year career if you do get the meniscectomy and then if you don't get it and it's like basically it didn't they didn't go like hey don't get the surgery and the other get the surgery it was more like they looked at people who did or did not so maybe it's just self-selection there's yeah. a little bias. Maybe if you don't need the surgery, you're going to have a longer career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but people who did get the surgery at an 8.4 year career on the people who did, uh, it, uh, didn't, sorry, was like 12.4. So basically your career was like 30% longer if you didn't, didn't need knee surgery, which I mean, doesn't tell us much, but it suggests that the knee surgery might not be the best thing long-term. Um, yeah. But there's more, like there's way more data, like comparing like conservative treatment to uh, meniscal t- surgery. Mm-hmm. 
directly. And yeah, do you want me to get into detail about that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so a van der Graaff, there's like two main types of surgery um, for, for the meniscus specifically. There's the meniscectomy, which yeah. is the traditional one. So you, we used to do a full meniscectomy where we just, hey, you have meniscal pain. We'll just remove the meniscus completely. That's what my dad got. You can do pretty well with it. Uh, my dad did like Iron Man's in his 60s and it was fine. Doesn't really have knee pain and he hasn't had a meniscus for years. Uh, take like maybe 20, 30 years. Um, but for a lot of people that can increase the contact forces. So Radin did a study on this. So even if you remove just 15 to 34% of the meniscus, which is usually what is done when we do the new type of surgery, which is a partial meniscectomy, to remove the problematic zone, uh, that increases the stress on the fiber cartilage by 250%. So 3.5 times. So lots more stress. So you can adapt to that, right? Fiber cartilage, we know from all the Orga study, because um, she did a lot of other studies on marathon runners and stuff like that. And the Rouge studies from 2005 that with appropriate loading, your fiber cartilage thickens. It's just, you're going to, it's kind of like being older, like you still adapt, but it takes you more recuperation time. So it will be harder to run and then adapt, run and then adapt or load and then adapt, right? It, you need more recuperation time, presumably. So it increases your, your risk of so go away uh, dramatically. Um, and then we, we do have the new surgery then that kind of uh, aims to keep most of that meniscus available. Mm -hmm. And then what we do now is like the meniscal repair. Okay. So where they kind of suture in or add like a little bridge where they um, try to bring that problematic piece of the meniscus uh, back together with the rest of the meniscus. Um, it seems to be, usually when it's available, I recommend that if the surgery is needed. Yeah. Um, it's not always possible. So if it's in the middle of the joint, what we call the wide zone of the, of the meniscus, where there's poor irrigation. So it's why, right? The outside is red because there's a lot of blood vessel. They seem to not do super well with repairs because it, it's like not going to get integrated because there's not enough uh, blood flow there. Um, also, if they're like, um, there's like mechanical symptoms. So they're unstable tears of people catching symptoms, which I mean, it's a rabbit hole. We're not going to get into that, but the, the, people who experience meniscal um, catching symptoms, it doesn't fit with the imaging. So we can't, it's like some people have mechanical symptoms if they have nothing at the meniscus and some people have a lot of meniscal things and they don't have catching. Yeah. I, I, don't under, I don't understand. I'm not going to pretend like I know why that happens. Um, <clears throat> but surgeries do seem to help for that. And that's what we do right now. But it'd be interesting to see more data in the future. But if I go back to the, the repair thing, um, repairs seem to be doing better. Um, there's one study on this that's been done. Well, not one study. It's a meta-analysis of five studies. Um, and it was done by Gzu. Yeah. So Gzu in 2015 did a meta-analysis where they compared meniscal repairs to, uh, what do you call it? Just a, a partial meniscectomy where they remove it partially. And the meniscal repairs seem to be doing better, uh, short-term and long-term. The nuance is that they only use functional outcomes to be measured. Um, and I don't think they were above the clinically meaningful, important difference. So there's the, but the nuance is that a subsequent, a subsequent, that's a tough word, like a following meta-analysis by someone else. Uh, so Fu, uh, is it Fu? No, it was Wang in 2021. They did a meta-analysis, another one, and they looked at the radiographic outcomes. So what does your knee look like if we get the repair? And it suggests that it reduces the risk of osteoarthritis. It doesn't uh, 
remove it completely. So if you have a meniscal tear and then we do a repair, you know, you still had a tear. So you still have a elevated risk, but it seems to be mitigated by getting the repair, which is the opposite if you get a meniscectomy. Okay. Right. So long-term, I would almost always advise, especially if it's in the outside, yeah. if surgery is needed, you get a repair first. If it fails, you get the meniscectomy and you still get those like catching symptoms. So that happened with one of my ACL patients. The, the repair was just not, it failed basically. Right. And he, he kept getting these mechanical symptoms and we did the meniscectomy after like a long discussion or whatever. And he was like plateauing and then he got the meniscectomy and he's doing fine now. Doing pretty good. Like he's back to soccer. Okay. Um, but it's not the first Avenue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I would say. Uh, Cause we, I mean, we talk a lot about how the OA doesn't correlate with the symptoms that people have. Like if you have knee damage, yeah, it's true, but it does correlate to a point, right? If you have early OA, your risks of pain are increased. So if you look at the odds ratio, I think it's something like a two. So you're twice as likely to have pain. People are get usually scared when I mention that number, but you got to understand that. Let's say your chances of having pain are 10%. You increase by 10%. It's not like you have like a 200% increase in pain. You know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I'd say, yeah, always start with the repair. If you, well, start with conservative treatment because yeah. that's the other thing. If you look at the Xu the, the studies or the Van den Graaff studies, they all show that conservative treatment and uh, just the surgeries seem to provide the same outcomes. Um, so you start with a conservative treatment. If it doesn't stick, then you go with the others. The only exception what I would advise surgery first would be for um, like professional athletes. Okay. Some, some people would need to do much better. So if you look at the Van der Graaff study from 2015 or 2016, uh, the meta-analysis again, uh, they show that after six months, they do better. Um, so it's just that you basically you jumpstart the healing. Like you get rid of the problematic piece, but that problematic piece is useful in the future. So it's kind of like you sacrifice your future a little bit. And again, I'd say if you're a, uh, an athlete at the end of your career, but you're still like, like you'd need it, I would say it, it's based on your values. There we go. I, I lost you there for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. So, yeah. So if an athlete needs to really go back to play quickly and he's fine with the risks, uh, I wouldn't have no problem recommend, recommending surgery, but it's, it's going to be his decision. Right. Mm-hmm. And some people don't care. They're like, Hey, this is literally my dream and I'm making like billions of dollars. I don't care if I have knee pain in the future. Um, and it's like a small increase in risk. So again, it depends what population you're dealing with, but if it's not an athlete and they're okay to, you know, wait a little bit longer, uh, and I think it normalizes after six months or a year, depending on the study. Okay. Um, and they're like, yeah, I care more about, you know, the future being able to do hikes and stuff like that and not care about money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year I don't need to do, be doing this. I'm okay with how, like this pain is tolerable. I would not advise the surgery if that makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. I, as you're going through that, through the different surgeries and how they've kind of evolved, I, I was thinking, Oh, did I lose you again? No, there's just a delay in my camera. Oh, okay. No, that's good then. I just won't look at the camera. Um, 
the uh, the increase. So when we go back to the soccer players, where you're saying there was a their their career was like 33 percent shorter if they had the surgery, um, something like that. Uh, did it? What was the? Did it say what surgery they were getting? Um, I'm pretty sure it was a arthroscopic meniscectomy. Okay, I was. I was That's the, yeah, it's the most common for at least because again, it, it goes faster. Okay. For one time they're going to do a repair for uh-huh. professional athletes is when they're going for ACLs because the ACL is the nine month minimum to go back to sport. Okay. Um, and for most people it takes a year for a professional athletes, they probably a lot of them reach nine months, but for a general population, that's unrealistic, right? You need at least a year or 14 months because mm-hmm. it takes really long to build that back that strength and they don't have access to the best facilities and stuff. Um, but the repair makes sense in that context. Cause I think the repair takes a little bit longer to stick and you have like more contraindications cause you don't want a failure. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, by the way, there's fewer re- um, the failure rate. So meaning the rate of resurgery is smaller for repairs. So they do stick as you follow the protocol mm-hmm. for meniscectomy. Um, I mean, the risk isn't like that high, but you do get a lot of people getting going back under the knife. So repairs aren't, they seem to be sticking. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Interesting. Um, where was I going? I had, I had something in my head there and I completely lost it. It was the, Oh, it's going to come back to me. I know it's going to come back to me. I have faith in myself here. Um, Oh, the surgical versus non-surgical intervention where you're saying, you know, we first start with conservative care. Um, so obviously let's get into my bias a little more so we can hopefully confirm my bias here. Cause what else do I want to do with my afternoon? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we're saying, you were saying most of them turn out relatively well based upon, you know, the symptom and where, where the tear is. Um, what, what in your opinion or the literature says either one, cause your opinion matters mm-hmm. too. Um, what, what's a good bout of conservative care? Cause I feel like a lot of times conservative care isn't even, we don't even start there. Everyone's just, you know, impatient or wants to get, get to the next step. But what, what is that, that like, how long are we talking? Um, I mean, it depends if you're talking about, uh, an acute tear, I'd say three to six months is a good, okay. um, mindset to have, but that's, that's usually what I tell for the patients for most things. Cause it's either like six weeks, three months or six months is usually the, the mainframe. And there's stuff that lasts like a year, uh, for meniscus, I'd say, three to six months, especially if you're dealing with gen pop for uh, an athlete to go back to hundred uh, percent might be a little bit longer because they have to perform at a high level, but it truly depends on the sport. But yeah, three to six months, I th- I'd say would be good. Uh, usually, and I, that's a very broad statement. Yeah. What I tell patients is that it's like, if you have like a serious injury, um, three months would be the time for you to start getting back to your activities, but you still have pain. So it's still bothering you. And then six months for you to kind of, the three other months would be to forget like forget it. Like you're not, you don't really have pain anymore. So for tendons, that seems to fit with what I'm seeing in the clinic mm-hmm. for, for at least, at least. Right. So the, and when I have my own tendinopathy, that's what happened. So I, I was playing with pain and significant disability on the field. Like I was limping back home, but I managed to keep playing soccer when I'm my growing tendinopathy, but it took me like, now I don't even remember what leg it was in. Okay. That took like, that took a long time. So it's like three months to get back to whatever you love six months for it to be your function to be back to normal and then or like the pain not to bother you anymore and maybe you're to forget that makes sense yeah no it makes total sense and man like if, if we had more time that would be another good one to unravel in terms of you know 
we could say pain science and, and everything that has to go down that. Um, yeah. th that's always, that's, that's always an, a really good topic. Um, we, we may have to do a part two on that one because that could be, be a, done. That, that, that one is super interesting. Um, yeah. but, but that's good for me to hear because you know what, you know, I can tell, you know, patients with, you know, lower back pain and stuff that, but when it's me, I'm always going to rush it and be stupid. So, um, yeah. th th three to six months already sounds like, I think I was, uh, I think I, after like three weeks, I was already going back and drilling jujitsu. wasn't doing jujitsu, but drilling it. And then sure enough, I re-injured it, not in jujitsu, but doing something else. I re-injured it where I was back to like limping around for like a week. Yeah. I mean, it might be different for um, what we call degenerative tears. Yeah. Right. Because those, those are more a case of persistent pain. I'd say injury, probably you see faster changes because the swelling uh, dies down. There's some healing that's happening for yep. the degenerative tear. It's different. You're going to, what's going to happen is more that you're, you're not going to change the structure. You're going to desensitize it. Right. Mm -hmm. That takes longer because the nervous system seems to respond slower because you got to reteach your system and it's okay to have that tear. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I would be more inclined to avoid the surgery if it was a degenerative tear also, right? Okay. If that makes sense? Unless, like, it's very rare that I advise a surgery unless there's, like, again, catching symptoms. And I, I think that's what the guidelines say, right? Yeah. So if you don't have any, if it's not, like, limiting you, catching you off guard, I would not be leaning towards that. I would just treat it like, like an irritable form of patellofemoral pain. Yeah. pretty much and then maybe avoid the 90 degree angle for i mean when it's a very early stage if that's something that's very problematic maybe switch to those joel seedman squats <laughs> all right uh, to 80 degrees yeah shouldn't be doing uh sissy squats for a while is what i'm hearing here yeah maybe i mean if it's not provocative i'm fine with it oh yeah or just if it is so maybe so just for uh so context here degenerative chair tears um what what's like Let's give people, what, what is that? So uh, it's as opposed to an acute tear. So an acute yeah. tear would be, or a traumatic tear would be, like, hey, you have, you have no pain, and then you do a false movement. Is that, wait, is that like a real term? It's a French term. Like, is that a term, a false movement? We can say that, yeah. yeah okay, I so you, basically you tweak it, right? And then you have immediate clear pain, and then you have, it's followed by swelling in the following days. So maybe 24 to 48 hours or immediately, depending and then you like your knee feels totally different day and night mm -hmm. linked to that very specific movement. So, you know, it's from that. Right. Yeah. So people were like, Hey, I tweaked it and a week later started hurting. It's like, no, that's not, that's not yeah. what it is. The okay. um, generative tears is something that happened over time. Um, kind of like your hair turning gray. You didn't wake up with gray hair all of a sudden. Right. It's something that happened progressively. Those seem to be doing better because you're um, well to be more asymptomatic. That's why we see a lot of old people. Um, the older you are, the more likely you have to something you are to have something come up on an MRI mm -hmm. because it's just more like a sign of gradual aging. And we do seem to be, it's like not a, a huge change in the biomechanics. So your, your system can adapt to it better because it's more gradual. Uh, an example would be of that phenomenon would be like when you get hip surgery, you, the leg, leg discrepancy is a significant predictor of pain in the knee, in the foot and stuff like that. And uh, like, yeah, you just get the hip surgery and day to day, you're like a centimeter taller on one side or two centimeters taller. That's going to provoke pain in a lot of cases, not always, but it, it, there's a high chance. Whereas if you compare it to the population, if that, that same leg length below like 1.5 centimeters, 
their whole life, they're not going to be, it's not going to be more likely that they'll have pain than someone who doesn't have that leg difference because they're used to it. Yeah. Right. So the body doesn't overall, and if we're being very broad in general, doesn't seem to respond super well to changes that happen very quickly. Same way we, we would in psychology, right? If your parents get divorced right away, not very good. Right. Mm-hmm. But if they, you know, wean you into it, they're like, Hey, mommy and daddy are having some issues. Daddy's going to go like to the house on the side. And then, you know, gradually you understand that your parents are happier that way. It kids probably going to do better. And if it's like your, I don't know, your dad, it's one of the reasons why, you know, if someone gets murdered, there's significant trauma, but people who died gradually and it was done like peacefully, you had time to go say bye to your dad or your mom. They'll be much less worse. Obviously if there's some suffering, it could be horrible, but human beings tend to respond better to stuff that happens gradually and like something that happens drastically and quickly. So yeah. Long-winded answer to say a traumatic tear, something happens very quickly and it is a clear marker of the start of the pain and then degenerative tear, something that happens over time without you really noticing. You're like, hey, my knee's starting to hurt and then it gets progressively worse over time. I like the, the analogy with, with the parents' divorce. It's like, it's like psychological progressive overload. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's clever. I, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that next time I'm, I'm talking to someone about like... Uh, lower back pain yeah well it's the same thing right gradual exposure is just something we stole from psychology yeah we call it gradual activity pretty much well gradual exposure it's different it's to deal with the fear literally but you know it makes sense because we're, we're dealing with the nervous system yeah right. immediately when you started talking about those drastic versus gradual changes um you know once again this would be go go, go to your page for this one for the feet series that you did a while back but I, I was thinking about, because I've got some pretty significant bunions. I was thinking about all the failed, you know, bunion surgeries um, that I hear about, you know, and all the, the associated knee, hip, and lower back pain people have after getting those surgeries. Yeah. So uh, that, that was what immediately came to mind. It could be useful, honestly. The surgery for bunion, I'm reading the literature. It, it can have its place, honestly. Um, it's and my niece, my my series on the feet is not done. It's just f- feet are so boring to me. It's not done. We're doing a part three with the functional memology. Okay. Um, yeah, we're basically going to look at the other research that Squat used conveniently ignoring because he never cites literature that contradicts him. <laughs> um, and we'll give it a picture. Like broadly, I think I'm not I'm not completely disagreeing with him. I just like most things disagree with the black and white nature of his statements. Which, like you just said that genetics don't play a role in Alex Valagas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a ridiculous claim. So no, it's your shoes. Like, how do you know? Like, how about these? He cited one study. There's like 11 studies on this. They all show that it matters. Like your genetics, smoking. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, honestly, like not, not to turn this into a feet post, like shit. You know, I have them. My sister has them. My brother has them. My mom has them. All three of my, my dad's sisters have them. Like, like there has to be some component there with that. Of course, yeah. You know, we, we, we're not all wearing, we, we can afford shoes. Yeah. And it's like, if the shoe's comfortable, I don't think it matters, right? Yeah. If you're always wearing high heels, maybe, like probably actually. Yeah. And, if, and like all the studies that squat use sites are in um, like liver, uh, what do you call it? Not liver shoes, what the hell? Um, liver things <laughs> on my mind. Yeah. Uh, like leather shoes. <laughs> that are very strict and like a lot of those studies uh-huh. 
uh, it's mentioned that it was common at the time because they did a lot of like uh, cadaver studies. On, yep. What I mean by cadavers is like historical sites, cadavers, like Renaissance men, oh, literal men from the Renaissance, okay. uh, like in the crypts of France. And they, it would be common at that time to cut open your shoe because they didn't make left or right shoes at the time. Okay. It was just very strict and people were poor, so they couldn't afford tailor-made shoes. So it was like really painful. They kept the shoes 24 hours because it was really hard to get them off. You needed two people to get the shoes in. And they would op- pry them open with knives. <laughs> I think that's actually where you got the idea of tearing your, your, you know, your nikes open. Uh-huh. Because he has a post where he says to do that, but you understand that the forces are completely different. Like uh-huh. if you look at night shoes, yeah. it's almost annoying. I tear through my, sh- like I don't wear night shoes because the mesh, my shoe kind of rips through it. Okay. And my big toes just hanging in the, like I have like four pairs of shoes I ripped that way. <laughs> right? Do you think that little piece of cloth is gonna have an effect on my foot? I don't I don't think so. That's my advice. Again, there's no research on this. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's a high quality. <laughs> this is good. I got I got a background on shoes too. Um, but I, I really appreciate your time, dude. And I think we were chatting beforehand because I know for a while I, I saw on there, you know, you offer you offer a, a mentorship just to help people out re- really with anything. You're almost like a Swiss army knife, I'd say. Um, so you, you want to give us a little, uh, little info on that, like what that consists of, who could reach um, you? Sure. So it's on my page. If you look at my link tree, there's the coffee, which is the thing where whatever, if people want to buy me coffee, they can, but there's also a service we call a commission where you can, I think I'm, it's like $90 right now where uh, we do like an hour mentorship uh, where it could be like, you know, if you want to be more pain science informed as a coach or, you know, you're coming up as a physical therapist, I can give you advice. We can talk about, you know, anything, basically just asking for advice over like a one hour call. And there's even a guy recently who just wants me to, he's like dealing with business mentorships who he thinks are unethical and he wants me to, my advice on how to tackle it using memes. So that's what I'm doing. So it could be anything again, as long as I'm qualified, because I'll refuse anything I'm not qualified with. Um, yeah. So that's, that's pretty much it. Um, it's, it's on the site. If anyone's interested. Okay. Awesome. Is there, do we have anything else in the works or any other um, services like that where people can support you? So, cause I, I know you were saying you don't think Instagram is ever going to let you monetize it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. I get reported too much. Uh, I mean, I'm going to, pull out some merch for the the hot movement optimist summer i'm doing i think the shirts are looking pretty pretty sweet honestly I'm, i like i ordered two just for me because i think they look dope <laughs> made the design myself all right anyway, i'll unleash it soon but if you guys follow me uh you you'll see it okay. so, yeah i'm on at no bullshit physio on every platform like youtube and then uh, instagram and i have a huge huge video on the carnivore md coming out on youtube it's like 30 minutes it's just so long to edit my phone keeps crashing but it's 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 honestly pretty funny and yeah i'm I'm looking forward to that because i have more fun you know with that area or like liver king you know as opposed to like i'm just bored of like you know anything like training related or musculoskeletal i'm just like uh whatever i don't care anymore but at least carnivore md like that nutrition side is just it's so comical to me and so funny i I get more enjoyment out of of it so i i'll be looking forward to that one now I'll, I'll be watching that on YouTube. It'll be on YouTube, yeah. Okay. I don't know when it's coming out, but it should be soon-ish. Okay, good. That that should be that should be fire. I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. But either way, dude, I, I really appreciate your time. Um, it's gonna take. A, I'm gonna have to download this in my head 
and everyone's gonna you know take a minute to digest this because you you drop so much knowledge bomb so I, I really appreciate your time my pleasure man thanks for having me absolutely